This is the Gender Card Podcast from Griffith University's Gender Equality Research Network. I'm Nance Haxton, and together we will speak to the vanguard of remarkable researchers breaking down the issues of gender equality, women's leadership and gender inclusivity in all realms of life. Household finance. It's something we all have to deal with, but are woefully underprepared for by the education system and power networks in society. Dr. Tracy West knows this all too well. Her research has found the accumulation of wealth depends on our ability to make informed decisions on saving and investing. And women and those on low incomes are generally the worst off. She's looking into why this is the case and tells me on this this episode of The Gender Card that many of the reasons are things we take for granted, such as being excluded from money conversations at home, ongoing impacts of the gender wage gap, and low levels of financial literacy. Tracy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Tell us about household finance. Now, this seems like an interesting area. This is not one that I've heard many people specialise in. What took you into that discipline? I really enjoy looking at individual decision making. I have done some research in pure finance, which looks at stock market trends and and data analysis. But more recently, data has been available on individuals and household decision making with the HILDA survey, which is a household income and labour dynamics in Australia survey. So I've found my joy in my research and I really love looking at individual decision making with a lens to understand how I can help, you know, what is happening and what, who needs help and how can we help them. So what uh, have you found? What are some of the, the main issues with household finance? Well, unfortunately, women um, are a bit behind men in terms of retirement savings, uh, wealth in general, incomes with the gender pay gap, which is well documented, and that has flow-on effects to everything and financial decision-making in general. So it's not just about the the daily or even the weekly budget it's it's more far-reaching than that oh definitely it's it's about our ability to have the confidence that we can manage our own finances that we can cope if we have unexpected expenses and that we can have a comfortable retirement well and and touching on that I suppose superannuation comes into this as well and that is getting a little bit more of a, a focus at the moment yeah, so the retirement savings gender gap is 42% difference between men and women. So women are 42% behind men for um, people aged between 30 and 60. Years that is old. huge, isn't it? It's really huge. It's got a lot to do with yeah the gender pay gap. So the incomes that we earn and the difference between what women earn to men, our time out of the workforce, and systems and structures, policies that are designed to... Uh, benefit those that are earning more in the workforce. So how do we deal with that? I mean, is that a cultural issue or is this something that can be looked at from from more regulations to, to try and make this more equitable? Policy can definitely address the gap if there's willingness for policymakers to do so. A lot of our policymakers are men, 
they don't understand. Um, even when you, you raise these issues in public forums, social media or whatever, there's a lot of backlash between men in general because they think they're under attack, I suppose. So we need more female policymakers. We need more more diverse policymakers in general, I think. And then they can start by making yeah. some of these tough decisions. What, what would be some of the first things that we need to, to look at in this? It's a pretty complex issue, isn't it? It's quite far-reaching across a number of aspects. Yeah, there are issues like maternity leave and how that links to superannuation and the superannuation policy in, it, in itself. Um, a lot of work that I focus on is financial literacy so you know do we understand financial concepts like the benefits of compounding interest saving little little bits of money keeping it in your savings for as long as you can you know and earning that compound interest the impacts of inflation on our income and diversification as well so the benefits of not having everything in the one basket or the one investment but having a few choices and few different income sources even. So, and women, unfortunately, again, are for way behind men in terms of understanding those concepts. Is that a lack of education or where does this start? Look, um, we know that in schools, girls and boys perform academically very similar. Girls can even outperform boys, even on maths, maths and the STEM-related courses. So at school age, when they're leaving school, they're equal. There's something that happens between then and, you know, older ages where women lose their confidence in making decisions that have a mathematical element to them. They definitely, there's something about it that um, they don't have a confidence in it. And perhaps when they go into a couple household, they don't have responsibility for some household decisions or particularly the big ones. Many women take responsibility for the household budget and shopping and, and paying bills. But there's something about aging for women that they they just fall behind somehow and we don't know we don't know why so it does show that quite definitively that this happens post school post school definitely mm. um, there's a lot to be said though for conversations that parents have with their children at those younger ages so we call that financial socialisation so we know that boys are taught to differently than girls about money in general and involved in things earlier. So boys will be given opportunities to earn pocket money earlier than girls will. Sometimes it's more money as well compared to what girls get. Girls are expected more to do the household chores for free. So we treat them differently, we involve them differently in our household financial conversations and we tend to give them, I don't know, less responsibility or less involvement and we use different language as well. So the same-sex parent is a really good role model. So if the mother is not talking to her daughter in a way that is supporting a confidence in in financial decision-making or maths or you know, in, in being involved in making some of the decisions around the household, then the girl doesn't develop confidence either. So the same-sex parent is really important. And it's really important for our daughters that we involve them and 
yeah, show some confidence. So it's, we can't just say that it's the uh, next generation, it's also our responsibility as well. It's a lot of people's responsibility, actually. So it's, it's policy makers, they can do more to help. Um, it's the parents, it's the schools, and it's universities, vocational education providers, um, workplaces as well. We can all take some responsibility to help a little bit more with this. So would you like to see schools be a bit more assertive in teaching household finance? Yeah, that would be great. I mean, schools, there is a national curriculum on financial literacy. Mm. It gets embedded usually in mass courses. Mm. Um, so that, that really mass component of making financial decisions is sort of emphasised, whereas it can also be shared across other disciplines like English and, and social sciences and other things as well. It doesn't have to be embedded in mass, but it tends to be. Um, so there is a fin national financial literacy strategy and more and more resources are available to help teachers do this. But teachers are an interesting group of people. So I've, I've designed a course recently to, that's targeted at teachers to help develop financial decision skills. Not so much knowledge, um, not trying to transfer knowledge to people, but you know, what are some skills that can help you unpack a financial decision and um, make it a bit easier and less daunting. So I've designed that with sort of an emphasis on for teachers and then hopefully they can find other ways to talk about financial literacy in the classroom and not just compound interest and, you know, how do you calculate the interest you're going to pay on the car loan and, and the sort of stuff that we're pretty used to getting in schools. <laughs> so what are some of the other complexities that we really should be teaching that if it's not just about your interest on a home loan or Oh, that's really that's a really good question cuz financial decisions are complex. There's complex products and there's complex markets and all of that. But I would say that developing habits like saving regularly can make such a big difference. It's a little thing and it doesn't have to be a large amount of money, but having that savings habit can really uh, increase your confidence and your resilience, your financial resilience to get through a tough time. And it just gives you a level of self-efficacy is the academic word, but just a level of comfort, I suppose, in knowing that you have some emergency money there. It's well, a really good habit. Particularly, I suppose, now in this emerging gig economy, as we are calling yeah. it, I, I imagine that this is even more important because very few people, even in older generations or younger, are going to have that continual career progression in one job. Yeah, that's the gig economy is a really interesting challenge because incomes fluctuate so wildly if you have a few different jobs and the income is irregular. So having the resilience and planning for that can be really tough for those people. Policies also, like superannuation, also doesn't do a good job of helping out those people. They can be excluded from that system and, and they're also excluded from sick leave and recreation leave and long service leave and all of those things. So it will have an impact on our economy if a lot of people are transferred to more casual jobs and contract work, yeah. Is that a trend that you've noticed? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Many people are supplement supplementing their, their main income with other jobs or it is their main source of income, and that's really worrying, I think. Because, I mean, it changes the foundation of so many things, doesn't it? I mean, even the whole concept of buying a house really is predicated on one or two people having regular, ongoing work. Yeah. they're going to get a bank loan. Absolutely, it will make it, make it really tough for these people and it 
means that they choose to rent and they're subject to market rents, which might be something that the next generation are okay with. It might be something that they've heard for a long time now that properties are unaffordable and they are revising their expectations to not expect to own their own home, I think, <laughs> even though they may like to. What about at a university level? Is there a role for learning more about this, even in the humanities or in other subjects, do you think? Uh, absolutely, it can be integrated into many disciplines. Um, what I would really like to see, though, is the university take some responsibility for educating our students on financial decision-making, um, no matter what discipline, so like a university-wide elective or or a qualification that they can offer students. And universities take, need to take a little bit more responsibility with educating students about their student debt. Yes, and how to pay that back. Well, what, what advice do you have? It, it's a tough one because mm. there is benefit from having a degree. Many people with degrees earn higher incomes. So it is fair that we have a loan or accrue a debt for that and we pay it back. That's fair. But again, it benefits some and not others. So people that earn higher incomes pay it back more quickly because it's tied to your income, your repayments. Um, the government actually changed this year the first income repayment threshold. It was $52,000 before you had to start paying it back. And from this year, it's $45,000, meaning that people on lower incomes have to start paying back their student debt earlier. And it's only $9 a week that it works out to be. But for people on low incomes, that can be a significant amount of money. And it doesn't actually mean that they pay back their debt sooner. Oh, really? And how's that? Well, for those people on those incomes, $9 a week, if you leave university with a $20,000 hex debt, for example, that can take, um, I don't have the maths in front of me, but it can take 20 plus years to pay that back, or they might never pay it back if they stay on that low income, if they take some time out of the workforce, if they come back to the workforce workforce in part-time or casual pay they just might never pay it back and I suppose this, this is where women can be really disadvantaged again because they are the ones more likely to take unpaid time out of the workforce to care for children still absolutely and with the gender pay gap as well they don't earn as much as men so they just don't pay it down as quickly so it's almost like it's set up really from the start it seems like such a impossible thing to to solve but it sounds like you've you've got some hopes and some some plans that could be put in place (laughs) i think from an academic perspective we can advocate so we can do the research and we can advocate for changes in policy if it's if there's evidence there to support it and that's what i see my role as being and just to champion just to put a gender lens i think over some of these policies research into the evidence and provide a a case for it as much as i can so what would uh, you your dream be perhaps in a, a generation's time or how long is this going to take to Oh, how long is a piece of string? Um, There's lots of things that are to be done and really the ball is a bit slow to be moving. Uh, For women, I suppose we just... I think an awareness is the first step, an awareness that there is a gap there that needs to be addressed and, and some of the implications for the gap on various parts of society. Financial literacy is one particular one that... It's not hard. It's not hard to to provide education and make that compulsory. And I do 
quite a bit of behavioural economics, which which looks at nudges and opt-out systems. So, you know, for example, all Griffith students could be opted in to or automatically enrolled in a course, in a financial decision-making course, and they can opt out if they want to. Um, that can have a digital badge for that. So yeah, there, there's lots of options there, but. Um, the industry as well. So the financial industry needs to take some responsibility for making things a bit easier. So you think that uh, it's not just us finding it impossible. I must admit, when I ever renegotiate my home loan, I take a number of deep breaths. The final, <laughs> the financial industry needs to actually figure out how to communicate these concepts better as well. Yeah, they're not doing consumers a favour by making things hard. They're just obfuscating. They can be making things hard to suit their own purposes. So the industry and the regulators need to ensure that consumers are getting the information they need in a way that they can digest, which doesn't mean lots of fine print. It doesn't mean making it hard to find the information at the back of the document. Um, it means putting it up front and having conversation about it and then perhaps being able to get some advice on it and some advice that every consumer can access, not just people with larger amounts of money. So not a loan broker, but somebody actually sort of independent, perhaps, yeah, independent. that you could go to for advice, you think? Yeah, there are independent people. We have financial counsellors, but they're government-funded positions and they're really busy. That's for sure. <laughs> so we could we could expand that, you think? Yeah, definitely. Definitely <laughs> scope to expand their role. And that's where government comes in with, with their support for this as well. well. I mean, what has that attitude to government been to this in the past? Is that part of the issue that they have haven't really seen this as their responsibility? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think it has flown under the radar. It's fairly recently that we have more quantifiable data on financial literacy and we're sort of, we're sort of especially after the Royal Commission last year, we are turning a focus to the consumer and what they need more than we ever have thought of to do before. So the finance system has gone through a lot of changes, a lot of inquiries, a lot of regulations imposed on banks and insurance companies and all those things. A lot of compliance work for these companies now. But it's yeah, it's the first time that we've had a look at consumers and gone, well, actually, what do they know? And what, you know, for some studies, that they look at what level of education does a consumer need to have to be able to read this document? <laughs> and you can... You know, some studies have looked at privacy agreements are an example. It can take weeks to read from the start to the end of a privacy agreement that everyone just clicks on um, when they are wanting to do something. Yeah, to buy a phone. Yeah, whatever, whatever it is. Is it just me or has everything just become more complex, Tracy? Every, I mean, it just seems to be. Yeah, everything is Particularly complex. financially. Yes, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. And we're never doing enough and we're never going to have enough and we get all of those messages. Let's hope there's a change. I'm, <laughs> I'm optimistic because um, you have to be. <laughs> what other choice do you have? Um, but we do need to advocate for ourselves and I think you will see a shift when the baby boomers have moved through. So baby boomers were a large cohort and what they wanted sort of affected demand for products and prices of products and things like investment properties, for example, and, and property in general. But it'll be interesting to see what changes the next generation bring. I wonder what the Gen Xs will be doing, uh, as well as propping up perhaps a lot yeah. of the generation that went before them. And there's a lot of smart people in this world, and I'm sure they'll design products um, that 
people need, I hope, and, and as well as want, but that address consumers' needs. Well, and it certainly is interesting. I mean, here we are in the middle of the, the bustling campus of Griffith's Gold Coast uh, University campus, and, I mean, surely there must be ways that we could get some of these students from their sports classes or their lectures, divert them into a big lecture to talk about household finance. How do we make it sexy, though? I knew the answer to that. I would be a millionaire. <laughs> there are some people that are doing a good job. You might have heard of the Barefoot Investor. He's been huge. Yeah, people like him and they like him because he gives simple rules of thumb for mm. people to follow. Mm. They like him because he gives you permission to have a, a date night, he calls them to talk about monies, money with your, your partner and your household. So he sort of sets up these easy guidelines to follow on how to help you manage your money. So he's doing a good job in that respect. So it is possible to have sexy conversations about finance. We can do it. It might not be sexy, but it's certainly (laughs) necessary. (laughs) Because really, I suppose, what are the ramifications if we don't fix these issues? I mean, are we looking at really a generation of people who don't have... Well, and that's where government has to come in again to look after people who don't have a legacy set up for themselves or their family. Look, what I worry about is the stress that it causes. I I hope to provide, you know, research and evidence or, you know, ways to find people to help themselves reduce the stress because it's just, it's not nice to to have to worry about where, how you're going to buy food for your family for the week. I just don't want people to feel that way. Or even to worry about opening the envelope because you know it's going to be a a fine, a traffic infringement and you don't know how you're going to pay for it. And all of those stresses are just so awful. And I hope that we, as a society, can help address those things. And there are ways around that. Yeah, they are. What about in the finance industry, Tracy? Where are the the women in there? Is there issues of gender even within the finance industry? Yeah, there certainly is. I mean, there are plenty of women in finance now. That has been building over a period of time and some industry bodies have made a concerted effort to recruit women and retain women. Still though, it's not a family friendly type of work as such. It it can be really long days, it can be hard to work part time. So there are some barriers to entry to finance jobs and there is a gender pay gap that exists there. Oh really, even in the finance industry? Yeah, wouldn't you know it. (laughs) There have been some reports done lately actually and I can't think of the the difference off the top of my head but it certainly is an issue in the finance industry um, that men are much significantly more better better paid than their women. But I would say in finance now, it also needs to turn some attention to diversity. You know, for households to relate to finance professionals, even to perhaps think about going to see a financial advisor, they, they do need to see people like themselves. And financial advisors in my experience, and and people in the finance industry aren't really representative of a diverse population. So there is still some more work to be done there in terms of representation. And women do like to talk to other women when they're seeking financial advice. And women in the profession also like to be mentored by, by women. So we do need to... Yeah, the industry does need to do a little bit more there, but there have been some efforts made. Yes, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I know even from my own perspective, it's not just the car salesman that can be a bit patronising towards women making uh, big financial decisions. 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it does have, uh, yeah, there is an elitist sort of element to the industry, so it's something that needs to be overcome. But having said that, there are also plenty of approachable people out there too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, Tracy. This has been wonderful. Thanks so much for having me, Nance. That was Dr. Tracy West, lecturer in the Griffith University Business School and member of the Gender Equality Research Network. And that's all for this episode of The Gender Card. This podcast was produced for the Gender Equality Research Network by Nance Haxton, with production assistance from Michael Adams. Stay up to date with this Griffith University podcast on SoundCloud. Speak to you again soon.